Hello, beautiful light-filled souls. My name is Trisha Barker, and I'm excited to let you know that the second annual online near-death experience summit is coming up this June 23rd with speakers, Dr. Raymond Moody, Lisa Smart, Dr. Jeffrey Long, Dr. Eben Alexander, Karen Newell, Nancy Rines, Howard Storm, Paul Perry, David Ditchfield, Leslie Lupo, Kimberly Clark Sharp, Dr. Tony Chicoria, John Burke, Jose Hernandez, and me, your host. There are plenty of videos to check out ahead of time, but please look at this link and we'd love to have you join. You can get your questions answered by the speakers at this event. And thank you. Thank you so much for your support of my memoir, Angels in the OR, which launched last month. It is such a pleasure to connect with readers, and many people have enjoyed the Audible. So if you don't have an Audible subscription, you can have three, 30 days um, for free and get my book that way. But I would love to hear from you, and I hope you enjoyed this recording. You can check out these interviews on my YouTube channel. I'm converting many of them over to podcast, but enjoy. Hello, beautiful, lightful souls. My name is Trisha Barker, and I'm so excited to talk with Lisa Smart today, who is working with Raymond Moody mm -hmm. on a book and a project called Final Words Project. And I think it's just amazing to capture the poetic, beautiful insights that so many people have at the end of their lives. And also, it will probably guide people to help others who are transitioning out of this world and to really honor that moment. So, Thank you, Lisa, for joining me, and I would like it if you would jump in and talk a little bit about your project. Um, the Final Words Project was established in 2014 and with Raymond Moody, and I'll say a little bit about how that happened. But um, it, I've always been interested in language. I have a degree in linguistics, and a few weeks before my father died, I noticed changes in his speech that were very surprising to me. And those changes began a whole new pathway in my life. And um, I began to see metaphors. I heard nonsense but uh, and poetic language, just what you were saying, some very fast. And I saw him moving between very literal, logical sentences like, Lisa, could you please get me a cup of water to oh, tell Jack my modality is broken. Interesting. So you felt like he was moving between this reality and another reality? That's what you started seeing? That's really what it felt like. And, and so, and as it progressed, my father was a PhD, very rational <clears throat> psychologist and was never a believer in anything. And um, he used to say that he was a gastronomical Jew which meant that his idea of God was a corned beef sandwich and coleslaw. And <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so, you know, that, that was his, his religion was good food. Um, but <clears throat> in those last few weeks before he died, he started talking about the angels in the room. And wow. I absolutely could not, I couldn't believe it. So when he described the angels, did he give them names or did he describe what they look like or did he just talk about their messages? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, we, um, he didn't give them names. What happened were two incidents in particular were about two and a half weeks before he passed. He, I've always believed more in something beyond this world, 
And um, just that was just my nature, you know, always as a kid. And he was resting and all of a sudden his eyes popped open and he looked at me and he said, Lisa, you were right about the angels. And he started pointing to, when I hear, this is one of the things I hear is common, is pointing sort of to the upper part of the um, ceiling. Uh, yeah. Wow. So that's so amazing to have, I guess, an extended death experience with your father in that way. It sounds somewhat like the near-death experience. You know, when I popped out of form, I just saw the angels and was surprised being an agnostic. I remember thinking, oh, there they are. Wow. They're just so intelligent and so amazing and so beautiful. And it's interesting that I, as an agnostic, even though I had knowledge of angels, mm -hmm. saw them and that he, who is not a believer, also saw them. Have you seen commonalities in your research between people who were not believers who started experiencing this? Yes. Yes. People who started talking about lights or um, feeling at peace when they never thought they would feel at peace and, and just descriptions of don't worry about me. And, and the whole, there's a lot of discussion about going home. People talk um, about that. And sometimes families get confused because the person saying, I really, I want to go home. I want to go home. And the family member might say something like, mom, I told you, I can't, I can't take you home. And, and really the home is something, um, you know, something else um, often. So yeah, it is. The home, home comes up a lot. Maggie Cannon, Callanan and Patricia Kelly wrote a book called Final Gifts years ago where they talk about the metaphors and um, the final words project has uncovered the same kinds of metaphors and discussion of travel and home and my father did also the first thing that struck me was his discussion of angels um, because that was stunning and I just started writing down uh, everything he said because as a linguist it's just my nature to write down language oh that's great uh, yeah and so I have these notes I took about his um, dying process and one of them was three days before he passed on. He said, um, the angels say enough, enough. Three days left now. Three days left, en enough. And then he passed um, three days later. Wow. That is, yeah. So all these confirmations that near-death experiencers often have and people have in these moments, I just wonder how anyone can doubt at this point, <laughs> you know, that, you know, these little moments like that just show you that there's an interaction between the other side. My dad, when he was dying in 2008, his parent, and this is after my near-death experience, his parents came to me in a dream, and they told me, too, that it will be a couple of days. They said, yeah, we're here. We're waiting with them. We don't know exactly when, but within the next couple of days, we're just here for any moment when he's ready to go, and yeah. we'll be with him every moment, so don't worry. And that took such a weight off my shoulders because mm -hmm. I was an adjunct at that time. I'm also a professor and I, you know the drill. And I was taking <laughs> nine classes to survive. And, you know, he was dying in the middle of all wow. that. And I was rushing there every evening to be with him. But I really worried that I didn't have enough time with him. And their comfort helped me so much. And it helped me prepare for the day, too, when I knew that he would be passing. Wow. So those little confirmations mean so much and it's real interaction. Have you documented yeah. others like that or did you have more uh, with your father? Most definitely. I mean, that, that, I think we have now about 2000 
utterances, which are a sentence or something, I mark it as uh, kind of like a, a breath phrase. You know, well, it's, it's like, let's just say it's like a sentence. We have about 2,000 of them. And they really fall into patterns. And I began this project um, as someone who wanted to believe. You know, I, I mean, I thought it, it was, I wanted to, but I didn't have that feeling in my gut that I do now. And it, it probably isn't quite as strong as it might be for you as an nde -er. <laughs> But the change from how I felt before is really, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm very convinced now. Yeah, yeah, there's this core knowing. And that's what I always tell people, like, you know, when you're having an experience with a deceased loved one mm -hmm. or with an angel, because there's this sense of love that's so profound. And it's like, you can't explain it in any other way. Just like you sit at the edge of the beach and you watch a wave come in, you're not analyzing it. You just know the wave comes in. Mm -hmm. And so when you feel this wave of love from an angel... Mm -hmm. You just know it as this truth. And that's, that's how I try to explain it to people instead of going, because the rational mind wants to go, oh, no, 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 that can't be. But for those of us who have crossed the veil, I'm like, yeah. no, no, it's real. You know, just trust yeah. it as a reality. That's so, so then it really is true that for you as an nde -er, you have this sense of knowing that now when you have those dreams, it sounds like you don't even question or doubt it. It's just... Right. It's yeah. the quality of the dream too. Mm -hmm. Like I still have weird dreams, you know, that, you know, from things I see on right. movies and, you know, things that are maybe things I'm working out psychologically, but, but you know, when it's a premonition dream or a contact from another person because of the quality of it, it has a different feel that otherworldly feel. And so, yeah, it is easier to, to notice it. And, and maybe that's worth teaching to others because I notice they doubt a lot. Are you around people who are too much in their rational mind and, and add that to? <laughs> Absolutely. And it is because, I mean, I've now, I get data in my, we have, we collect data online now with conversations and um, every week I get at least one or two new accounts from people. And there's no way that I can explain to someone what happens just by being immersed in that experience. And, um, and if you haven't had it, I mean, and for me, it's still really secondhand in a sense because it's, it's other people's accounts and stories. However, what I went through with my father had such a real feeling and especially to have him announce three days and then three days he was gone or he had passed on, I should say. And, and also to see someone who was so skeptical, you know, we, have and and the sense of peace that occurred and I know that death is not always peaceful you know I mean people some people have really painful and, and difficult deaths but a lot of people and I saw this in my father there seems to be this surrenderance process that occurs that's really um well it was very comforting to me to be part of that and see it and I think I read somewhere that you had some experiences or we talked um with your yeah. father after his passing so did you feel more communication and connection with him after his death? I did. And that also surprised me. I mean, especially because it was my father. <laughs> I mean, of all people, you know. Um, but, and it felt so real. And even my mother, who I, I would say she was open-hearted and curious, but certainly not someone who was a, quote, believer in any way. But the poems came through and... Um, mostly they were love poems to my mother oh, and they wow. were 
Absolutely. I wonder if I can find it in easy access if I can. Oh, that would be amazing. I'm sure people would yeah. just love that. So he, and did he do that in his life? Did he write love poems to her? He did. And oh. one of the things my mother missed most when he was gone was, you know, were the poems. He used oh. to write them on napkins and, and yeah, it was really, and it just seemed, and he was like, hi, at least, you know, at least I love you, but it's your mom who meets, um, the poems and it's interesting how their personalities you know that i think they do that partially to show us that they're still them you know like there's some part of them that is essential and they know that we're connecting with that part of them that you know reminds us of their personality my father was a talker and funny and so you know one of the first things he said when i started talking to him was well you knew i wouldn't be silent over here (laughs) (laughs) i'm laughing and then i was uh, talking with another medium who was getting some of it wrong and i started see him seeing him like waving his arms going no no no, you just listen to me (laughs) stop it Isn't that, it's so amazing. And because when I hear you, I just, it becomes even more real. You know, it's sort of like I listen to you and it's just, it's so incredible. And, and I'm really intrigued by when you talk about being able to know the difference. I mean, being able, because again, um, you're a thinking woman, right? You're a thinking woman. And so you, I'm really intrigued about what distinguishes those dreams or what distinguishing those moments when we know who's coming through. And people have asked me, uh, you know, how do you know it's your father? And how did you know? And my mother said, well, there were things my father talked about. I never even knew about, like he referred to the terrarium. Anyway, these little references and it was so magical. And that also expanded my sense. And it seemed, again, although I didn't have an NDE, by doing this, my intuition has expanded. I feel like I'm much more intuitive um, after that. And if, uh, I'm sorry, I say. Oh, no, no, no. It's, it's so interesting. I think those little confirmations are important um, that for us, oh. and there, we could go in so many different directions and I'll, I'll come back to the poem that your father wrote to your mother, but I also had this moment with my grandfather when I needed to escape a bad marriage and he guided me to a jewelry shop that would buy my wedding ring at that time. Like I had no idea what road to take and he just like led me on this path. And I was like, how how would I have found? And I would have taken it to a pawn shop, not a jewelry shop who would buy it. And they gave me a much better price. And and I didn't even think of it as mediumship or after death Mm -hmm. communication. I was like, oh yeah, I do this thing because I died. (laughs) (laughs) You know, every once in a while they cross the veil, whatever. (laughs) I send spirits home, you know, like, (laughs) now let's get back to the rational world. (laughs) But the more that we talk with each other, you know, other near-death experiencers talk, to one another, other researchers talk. I think our certainly our intuition and our knowing and our experiences expand. And yeah, I think that you're onto something there. I've certainly yeah. grown through my experiences of talking to others. Hmm, it's so um, you know people talk about the idea of the field or you know this big, and it's almost as you were speaking, I thought about this 
um, it is like there's this thing we can, this, this field we can tap into. And I also write myself. And you know, I know I've had that experience where characters just come through me and they're bigger than me and a lot better writers than me. <laughs> Thankfully. Yes. Oh, then you might be the one person on earth who will appreciate this and we'll get to the point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. in the writing of my book, I didn't understand the voice that I'd taken because it was kind of simple and straightforward and I almost gave up halfway through the book and I was like, you know what? There's so many near death experience stories out there. Forget it. You know, like it's just not coming through me. Maybe I've mm. lost it after all these years of teaching English. You know, creating <laughs> exactly. It's like, maybe I don't have it anymore. And David Foster Wallace came to me in a real dream. And part of my story is that I had, uh, you know, a suicide attempt. And so a lot of suicides come to me and he came to me and he, said very clearly he's like look girl you've got your own style and that sounded so like him you know in this laid-back way and he patted me on the back and then he introduced me to some people and he was like you're gonna be fine just follow the journey and keep writing and so I woke up with this renewed energy and I was like David Foster Wallace the greatest writer of our generation wants me to write I'm gonna do it <laughs> Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, it's, it is. It is great to exchange stories. It is. And, you know, when I was doing the Final Words Project, um, you know, there were times it was hard to collect data in the beginning because I, and just like anything, um, I left California to come out to Georgia to, to work closely with Raymond Moody because he's done a lot of research in language. And there were times I was like, what the heck did I do? I left behind <laughs> everything to come study Final Words in Georgia. But I remember I had one night with Elizabeth Kubler Ross. I will never forget. And I, you know, I haven't met, I don't I haven't mentioned this to anyone. I don't think, but you've made me think about it. And there was that sense she was wearing. I remember this turquoise and purple um, necklace. And there was just a very, it, for me, the colors were brighter. It just seemed almost three dimensional in in the dream. It did have a different quality, as you had mentioned earlier. And that that quality really intrigues me, of course. Because I, I mean, what that is, how do we know? How do we know? Wow, that's amazing. And I think she would come to you with this project. I mean, it's something that she would want to continue. And that three-dimensional quality is important because I think spirits take on a different form. So, you know, when my grandparents came to me, it was like the first part of their body was themselves. And then it was just kind of billowy, like smoke, wow. as if they were just popping through my... Wow my ceiling to look at me and then they were sending it telepathically. So I think that communication, if you have like a telepathic communication with someone or it really slows down or has a different quality, a three dimensional quality or, or a different feel as if it's important, then that's, that's part mm -hmm. of how you can recognize it. But that's so cool that she came to you. So she gave you encouragement. She did. And I wish I, I guess, I'm glad I'm speaking to you because that is something I forgot about. It'd be fun to go back now in my journal because she came, I think, about two years into the project. <clears throat> it was hard to get the data at first because I was just an outsider. You know, I wasn't working in hospice and I was just an outsider and I saw something going on with my father and I just became sort of almost obsessed with this curiosity about final words and, and, um, and, you know, I came to Georgia, I had no work. I, I mean, it was, it was really kind of crazy. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm so glad I did it. But at that time, it really was. I remember it, it was, it was an, a week that I felt um, really challenged. You know, like, what am I doing? And 
that I felt called. Anyway, um, oh yeah, so back to the this is this is the poem that you pretty much channeled from the other side from your dad to your mom. Yeah, I think so. I always say it was inspired by my father. Yes, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a better word. <laughs> For me, it's better because yeah. I, I um, it's easier. Um, but and there ended up being about fifty, I think fifty-three poems that I um, I haven't done anything with except one got published, you know, in my book. But I just call them threshold poems. But maybe oh, beautiful. Yeah, it might be time to get them out there. But anyway, well, this is just a thought. But after Final Words Project comes out, I mean, you could self-publish something like that because your name will be out there and then people you know it could be a link to the book people who love poetry just might buy it you know so hey, thank you <laughs> <Free coffee, Patricia. laughs> uh, all right let's see um <clears throat> excuse me for i will always hear you and this is the first poem that came through after he passed even in heaven, no light shines as brightly as Susan. The cosmos sings for you as the days pass, and I become the mountains with their longing for spring after long, snowy winters. We are wed always, like boat to harbor, even as I sail out to this vast sea of galaxy. You are always mine, beloved Susan, and the poems call out to you beyond the seams of angels to your tattered tears. Do not cry too long. Let that laughter of your love illuminate the skies, for I will always hear you. Oh, wow. Let that and laughter yeah, of your soul illuminate the skies, something along those lines. That is so perfect because that does seem to be that connection that would continue doesn't it feel though there's something again remember when you were talking about that quality of a dream yeah. or when you hear and you know it's something different or you know and when i wrote that poem because i also write but it sounds very different than how i write and, and 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 as the poems evolved and as i mentioned my mother said there were references he made that i knew nothing about you know, wow. they just came through and she said, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. He quoted a Bob Dylan line in one of the poems. And, and she said, yeah, when your dad and I, you know, just she oh. made references. So that was also profoundly validating for me. And, um, and yeah, so it's really, yes. Very they, they are definitely coming from your dad. My dad just said to me right now that they yeah. are so as odd as that, that is. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's yeah. beautiful. Did they have a very... Uh, had a magical relationship. It sounds like they must, your parents. You know, they did. They were together for 56 years, I believe. <clears throat> and, oh, amazing. Yeah, and the first way that my father's language changed is as he entered into the dying process about a three-week period had to do very closely to my mother and his relationship to her. Um, he, he um, one night... Uh, he had gone through radiation therapy for prostate cancer, which you know, generally prostate cancer is not, many people survive. But it was one night and he walked out the front door at midnight in his underwear on a January night. And this was sort of the beginning of him entering into a new stage. But when the police stopped and they said, where are you going? And he said, I'm going to the art gallery. My wife is having a big exhibit and I'm carrying these boxes. And there were no boxes in his hand and there was no art exhibit. And there was no art gallery. And yet, um, 
one of the things we know from studying final words, and Callanan and Kelly also found this in their research, is people often announce some kind of big event that's closely connected to the metaphors that matter in their life. And so for my father, going to the big art show or the big event was a really central metaphor to his life. Uh, you know, helping my mother through over 50 years, taking boxes to art, art shows. Oh, so um, she's an artist? Yeah, she was an artist. Oh. So they were very, very close. And a lot of the metaphors that were deeply connected in their life emerged in the dying process. And one of them, of course, is what I just mentioned about the big art show. You know, the big art show that's coming, the big art show, we have to bring the boxes to the big art show. How interesting. So I am kind of curious about your journey because it sounds like you stepped out in faith. So after mm-hmm. you were with your dad, um, how did the idea for the book come about? And you contacted Raymond Moody and then moved there. Like, yeah, it sounds like you stepped out in big faith. Like, how did that all happen? <laughs> it was actually a little insanity. No, no. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> no it, it, it was. I think it was just one of those moments in time. And what I saw in my father's language and the way I saw he shifted from being a terrified skeptic. He was also someone very afraid of dying. That was just part of his personality. Matter of fact, his name was Morton Felix, which means happy death, which is sort of another kind of synchronicity in all of this. But what happened is I felt like I saw something. um, Again, I, I imagine it might be something with an NDE or experiences the veil seemed to be lifted and I saw something and because I'm a language person, for me, it emerged through the language I saw. I saw just fascinating, all kinds of fascinating patterns. And, um, and those patterns, as I was writing them down, as well as my father's shift in perceptions like angels, just the veil felt like it was lifted in a very profound way for me. And I just knew I couldn't do anything but find the answer. And it, it felt, you know, I think many of us have that experience that we're called to do something. And some of us get that calling through, with, in, through an NDE, as you had mentioned um, before we started speaking um, on the video about teaching. Um, it really felt like a call. And, and so I felt like I just had to do it. You know, it's like, you know, when you get a really big craving for chocolate and there's just, there's just no, there's no option. <laughs> yes, you're getting up and going to the gas station, even if it's midnight. <laughs> but it's like, I had to. Um, so, but the way it happened is I began, I was living in Napa, but my father was in Berkeley. I went, I studied linguistics at UC Berkeley. So right after my dad passed, I went to the library at Berkeley to um, imagining there was a lot written already about this field in linguistics. Uh, you know, there's lots of written about language in the beginning of life, how children acquire language. So I assumed there was going to be the same thing for people as they died. And there was absolutely nothing or just about, except how to communicate a little bit from doctor's perspectives, like how to give a diagnosis or something like that. Um, and I just, I, I, I was stunned. How could something so important as the language of, and of, to me, it seems so important. And my father's words were so sacred. And so they almost had a mythical quality. I just thought, how can we turn away from 
I, I was just stunned. And yeah. Yeah. It seems like part of our culture that doesn't pay attention to the elderly left off this amazing part of studying language and how amazing that you did step in. It does seem necessary. Now I see how you're connected to Michael Quinn because of his book to help people transition to the other side. That makes perfect sense. And if you don't mind, I do need to talk about oh. Austin since we're going to be here next week. No, 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 no. Like, this is my fault. Um, and this video will last much longer than Austin, but I'm really curious about what kind of course you guys will teach together. So what are you doing together? It seems like a perfect merging. Of, uh, I'm, glad you, I'm really glad you see the connection. Um, he's done this beautiful book, Coming Home, and um, The Journey Home, excuse me. Uh, that are near-death stories that can be shared with people as they're passing. And I think he and I both have had this experience in very different ways about what a sacred time it can be, as well as a frightening time for, for loved ones, as well as the dying. Um, and so both of us are looking at ways how language can create bridges to help people cross in ways that are deeply held and deeply loving. And, and I think uh, so he and I will, he'll be sharing some of his ways of, of helping people in those final days and families and, um, and loved ones. And I will be talking about the same thing, but through the lens of language, because sometimes people will hear nonsense or hear kind or metaphors or things that don't make sense and get scared. But actually that language, just like the stories that Michael is going to share, can actually be the way that we connect and can make uh, the, the transition as as held and sacred as possible. Yeah, just that simple idea of going home can change everything for someone's perception that near-death experiencers often talk about home. I've heard that from at least three people that I've interviewed. And I felt that way too, like, oh, finally, you know, all of the distractions and all of the ways that I'm pulled or judged or hated or, you know, wanted or whatever, you know, like suddenly I'm just complete in this place called home, you know, then that was such a peaceful experience. I think for people with more traumatic lives, it's, it's tempting to stay in that place called home too. So I think that's, you know, it's interesting to hear near death experiencers talk about that because there's this relief of, oh, oh, here I'm loved completely. Oh, here mm. there's peace. Here mm. there's beauty. And so either way, even if you've had a great life, it's still going to be, you know, that much more beautiful because it's peaceful. And that's mm. that one word, home, probably could make a big shift in a lot of people's understandings of people passing. So that's That's great. beautiful. What, yes, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, so what trends did you see in studying the language that I'm curious about too? Um, well, definitely home shows up yeah. a lot. <laughs> and the metaphors of travel <clears throat> and the metaphors of a big event coming, some kind of big event, the big dance, the big dinner, the big art show, um, the big golf game, <laughs> the big poker game, you know, but it all depends on who the metaphors that are meaningful to that person. Um, so Jeffrey Holder, who was a dancer, for example, uh, and a choreographer, as he was dying, he started saying, uh, you know, down, wait, one, two, three, you know, sort of dance terminology. So he kind of entered into this whole metaphor of sort of entering into this big dance as he was leaving. And that's, that's really incredible and beautiful, and it's pretty prevalent. And again, Callan and Kelly, um, had very similar findings. Um, 
we see something I'd call prepositional shifts. So people start using prepositions like up and down and back and forwards in ways you wouldn't expect. So someone might be lying down flat and they're talking about going up and up, which corresponds, of course, to the outer body. Or people talk about going back and wanting to come forward again. Um, so you see prepositions, which are those little words that you know, express where we are in space. Um, so you see sh really fascinating shifts. You see paradoxical language, which is kind of, uh, Raymond really uh, was interested in this because part of the language of the near-death experience are phrases like, I've never felt as alive as when I was dead, right? Which is, is <laughs> technically Which is nonsense. so true. <laughs> <laughs> so amazing. So amazing. So, um, so that that's technically um, a contradiction, right? And you see that also in the language of the dying. Um, someone might announce introductory offer, store is closing, right? Or, uh, you know, really interesting contradictions. So we found paradoxical. Um, we saw lots of references to deceased relatives and communication. Lots of boxes, which was interesting. Lots of golf going on. <laughs> Lots of people making references to joining. It, was, I, it might have just been obviously our sample, but I was surprised by how many people as they were passing who were golfers, obviously, who talked about um, you know, joining a foursome or something like that. Um, oh, uh, their golf partners yeah. were already up there. So they were, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the green pastures were a golf exactly. course. And again, Maggie Callanan uh, talks about that as well, too. So, it was, so it's great to see those parallels. Um, yeah, so just, those are some of the trends. Repetition is very common. And, and I had my near-death experience in 94. So Raymond Moody and Brinkley, the near-death experiencer, were the only books that I had that at that oh. time that I found. Um, and when I read Raymond Moody's books, I just felt like I wanted to pick up the phone and call him and go, hey, I had one of those. And, yeah. and maybe I should have, you know, back then. But, <laughs> but what is it like working with him, someone who has so much experience in this field and really coined the term? What have you, what are some things oh. you've learned on the journey? Oh, it's been, I'm, I've been very fortunate. And a lot of people do not know that his first degree, his PhD was in language, the philosophy of language. And his interest was nonsense, unintelligible language. And it was actually nonsense that it got him into the near-death experience. Hmm. And so what happened is he loved Lewis Carroll, you know, the nonsensical language. So when he, um, decided to become an uh, MD, he noticed that people who died and then came back started talking in what we consider nonsense. These, what he called nonsense travel narratives. I got out of my body, I went through here, and he started hearing people talking as they were talking in stories, but also almost like Lewis Carroll, just like the kind of sentence I said before, I never felt as alive as when I was dead, which is, it has that nonsensical quality. So it was those really unique phrases and because he had a love for nonsense he didn't just discard it as oh they're just crazy people or you know they're just uh, you know it's just because they just got you know it's medications or whatever excuse he actually thought this is fascinating because i know or he he thought nonsense is real there's something about nonsense that's real because we see it in dr seuss lewis carroll we see it everywhere people love nonsense we gravitate towards it um sometimes so it was actually nonsense when he saw the patterns of the near-death experience. He recognized patterns of nonsense that not in a dismissive way. When he says nonsense, it's not in a judgmental. It's more like, 
all fascinating. So Raymond began to think that people were having experiences that were outside of literal language and therefore were probably outside of literal experience. And he still believes after all these years, we still don't have the language to fully understand what people's experiences are. And every, you know, most of the people say it's ineffable. Right? And I, I would love to hear your, your yeah, thoughts. Yeah. So I love it when people try. And I certainly see you know, people who've gone to divinity school, you know, I interviewed a couple of people who've done that and they have a, a spiritual language for their experiences. And, you know, being a poet, I've tried, you know, I tried very hard to capture some of the the strangeness, the otherworldly feeling of, you know, how do you describe a light that comes out of an angel's eyes that beams into your soul and gives you lots of messages all at one time mm -hmm. and gives you comfort and peace? I mean, how do you put words to that alone, much less the presence of the creator, you know, of this divinity, of this God that just loves you so much? And this mm -hmm. is where most near-death experiencers just break down. But as you were repeating that line, it doesn't seem like a paradox that I was more alive when I was dead <laughs> because this body has pain in it. I mean, everybody, you know, whether it's, you know, joint pain or neck pain or, oh, I'm sitting here too long or, oh, I feel uncomfortable in my body and to feel no pain and to feel like you can fly. I mean, that, I mean, that alone is just wonderful, you know, to leave the form yeah. and to just feel like, oh, okay, this is, this is how I'm meant to feel, you know, vital mm. and alive. And I think people choose in the afterlife their best looking self because that's how they feel, <laughs> you know, like you know, at, at 25 or, you know, whenever they're like, <laughs> I feel this good, <laughs> you know, like you know, my, my body doesn't hurt over there. And, and then especially people who are coming from accidents who are in great amount of pain, you know, to this no pain feeling, of course, you know, you feel your thinking is clearer because I believe you're connected to the divine. So you feel much more intelligent. You have no pain and you have more powers in a sense, you know, that you can do more on that other side. And so that's, that's part of why it felt like being more alive, more clear, more connected to mm -hmm. others. There isn't that barrier, you know, that, that we have here. Mm -hmm. And uh, to me, that makes sense, but it is interesting. I'm sure I wish I could have videotaped myself coming out of the near death experience. Cause as I wrote about it, I thought that I grabbed my doctor's hand and said this one particular thing, but I was coming out of surgery, you know, so obviously the anesthesia, the morphine, all of that, you know, may have dulled what I was trying to say, who knows? And I think that that's really interesting that Raymond Moody went ahead and listened to it through the, through the medication and through what people are saying that takes some strength and what, what a difference he's made in so many people's lives. I know. And he's really, um, I just, it's been a blessing to work with him. He's just a sweetheart. And he's been very, very supportive of, of the work. And he's really, I mean, he has a PhD in philosophy and an MD. I mean, the guy, he's, he's so bright. And he's a rationalist. I mean, he really didn't fully, he still had questions himself until very recently. It's only pretty recently that he, was fully able to say yes 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 there's an afterlife because he was raised to be a rational you know a thinker and to always do you know what I mean it was just his training and the way he he, he thinks but we, we share a love for language so it's been really really fun working with him
It is yeah. interesting. And in, in spiritual communities, people who are too left brain do have trouble accessing that right brain, mm. you know, for the poetry and the metaphors. And so you see people struggle, I think, to move into that way of being. So it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we've had fun together and I think we're complimentary. I mean, mm. I mean yeah, it's been so, yeah. So here so I am. How close are you to publishing the book? Well, it came out actually oh, a year ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't yeah. even realize. Yeah. Oh, then I need to get it. <laughs> you need to send it to me. <laughs> I will. Send it. I will awesome. one. But um, yes, and and but I am working on another one, which it was sort of. I was thinking about it while we were speaking about um, inspiration, divine inspiration, and which is because as I was looking at words of the threshold, there's also a lot of overlap between sort of words of inspiration. Mm. Also, that's so, but anyway, but where's the threshold's been out a year and it's available at amazon.com where oh. people can get a free chapter on the final words project.org <laughs> nice. website. Yeah, well, I'll put that link below this video <laughs> as well and all that. So, I guess as a final question, what is your greatest hope when people pick up this book? And oh. so, what's you know, what's the deepest motivation, you know, for writing it and then your hope when they pick it up and they read it, mm. you want them to take? Um, one, just uh, that is a, a semi-scientific um, way of, of confirming a lot of what you've talked about. It's another way of framing that something is going on with consciousness at end of life. And then the other thing is just to give people tools for when people they love are dying to not be afraid of the language they hear and to be able to step into that person's world. And oftentimes when you do that, it, you can enter the vortex with your loved one in a pretty powerful way to understanding the language. So, And a lot of people... Things. A lot of people want to do that and don't know how. So I think if your book is oh a guide God. to help them connect in that way, then what a beautiful tool. That is Aww. really beautiful. And yeah, and there there are so many people who are fascinated, you know, by interviews like this and Buddha at the gas pump and, and skeptics too, you know, who really get into this. So it's wonderful that you both have science backgrounds and, and can talk to that crowd of people who, who really um, experience that part of, Part of my journey was I wanted to connect with the agnostics of the world, you know, like teaching groups of, of students. I really hoped to connect with that crowd who maybe they're young, maybe they grew up religious, now they're not religious now. And, you know, they're just in this place of what do I believe, what's important. And I, I want to connect with the person I was when I had my near-death experience, mm -hmm. kind of lost and in college and somewhat agnostic and and give them hope or at least open their minds a bit because they like memoirs or they like, you know, reading. Mm. And that was, that was part of my impetus, but you never know who your crowd is going to be when you write a book. So mm -hmm. I may have like Whitman, you know, thought I was writing to the masses of, <laughs> of people who were, you know, like blacksmiths. And then of course it was intellectuals <laughs> who left them. So, so, you know, maybe the crowd that I think I'm writing to is not who's going to pick up the book were you surprised by some people who who contacted you and picked up the book and you yes, didn't think that they I'm were your... always surprised yes absolutely matter of fact just um recently someone stopped a neighbor stopped me and I didn't even know she knew about the book and I and I was stunned that she was the one person in the neighborhood who bought the book and talked about it and I don't know why right why 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 I just didn't think she'd be someone who would be interested or open 
to it. So, and it just seems more and more people are open to it. It really, I mean, there definitely has been a shift, I think, um, in our lifetimes. And, and it's really lovely to feel it. I mean, I feel it around the country as I go and speak to people or, you know, I've been on the radio and heard from people around the country. It's really, um, it's so beautiful to feel how we are connected through these experiences. It, it really, that's, it's been such a blessing to have had that chance to experience that. Awesome. Well, yeah. thank you so much for being my guest. Mm -hmm. I loved it. And thank you. Yes, we're going to stop here. But for those who are listening, please subscribe to my channel. And I do have a donation button if you're interested in donating. I want to continue these interviews and keep talking to all these wonderful people like Lisa who are doing profound research in this area, but also other near-death experiencers and those who are wanting to share their story for a variety of reasons. So thank you very much and may you be blessed.